Robert. How are you? I'm good, Joseph. And you, my friend. Like that shirt. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I like yours. Thank you. It's cheery. It's bright it's and yellow. It's very bright. It's my mother-in-law's favorite color. Is it? Yeah. I'm trying to shift some of my colors in my wardrobe besides just gray, blue, brown. <laughs> you do. <laughs> Those are my colors. You, 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 I got yellow. You right are there. the king of the I'm. I have the white undershirt. You're the king of the gray undershirt. Oh, gosh, yeah. I love it. Just a nasty dresser, my friend. I love, well, I realized the gray also speaks to my personality, too. Well, and we're getting... I love the gray. We're, and that's I see exactly both sides. where we're going today, right? I, be, I see both sides to... Uh, it's a strength and a fault for me, sometimes. Strength that it's good to see both sides. Yeah. Fault is sometimes you just... You gotta make a decision. <laughs> it's hard. That's well, me. And you know what right, is going through Allison's head right now? What? The Enneagram. Yes. Well, right? You were immediately the Enneagram. No, she, she knows 100%. it. She goes, oh yeah, I know She's Joel's like, that's a tie nine with a three-way <laughs> and a six. <laughs> See? Yep, you yep. were. Yep. That's why I resonate with it. And that's it. impressive. I, I want to get to know the Enneagram. You have yourself. a song for us. I do. I do. You know, the gray was actually a great segue, very unintentionally so, because that's where we're going today. We're going into the gray. You want to tease it out a little bit? We will. Oh, the this now? this is a, the, the theme song <laughs> isn't about the gray. The but our what we're talking about. Yeah, is about we'll the do gray. that after the theme song. Yeah, yeah. This song. This is a great show. Well, bring me into the decade. Yeah, the, this is the 2010s. What do you call that decade? The tens. The tens. Man, that's awkward. Um, I guess it's tens. It's I guarantee you've heard of it, but not I'm not sure ago. you watched it. Yeah, it's kind of show. Uh, Alice and I were actually talking about it. And we both agreed you have to get through the first season, and then and then it really takes off, like a lot of laugh out loud moments in it. Mm. Okay, yeah. Make sure that volume's up. I was, I was replaying the last one. It's kind of hard to hear. Cool. You know what it is. You got me. It sounds familiar, but I can't. Can you give me a hint? They're an actor. Uh, uh, Amy Poehler. Oh. Uh, Community? No, Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec, yeah. Parks and Rec. Which yeah. I have never really seen. And I've heard great things about it. Um, I know. I know that. Like, that's a show that I need to see. I've never seen Arrested Development. Which is also one of those shows that some of my, my friends just love. So it. I loved Parks and Rec. You have to do you. I, in my opinion, you have to get through the first season, and then it takes off. It's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Um, Amy Poehler's character is so sweet, and there's Rob Rob Lowe, who's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. And, uh, Ron Swanson, Ron Swanson. And the machismo. It's it's just. Uh, well, is that also? Um, he's now like an action a, star. Uh, isn't he in it? Mm -hmm. uh, a young, uh, what's his uh, name? Yeah, 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 yeah. What's his name? his name? Andy is his Chris name Pratt. Show. Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Yeah. yeah. He's in it. Um, Before he became. It's really cute. And it's, 
I'm like, yeah, it's a good family kind of sitcom. There's not a heck of a lot that's like really inappropriate in it. So really? it's yeah, it's mm. a good family show that our whole family um, enjoys. It's one of the few shows that are you know when we when we go in age from you know yeah. like you were tough yeah tough so uh, but Arrested Development oh that is just cringe after cringe is it? it's tough yeah. no, that one's tough I got two buddies who oh Allison Allison it. doesn't want to be hurt she's like. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> and now she's trying to hide her laugh. <laughs> she's there. <laughs> she is there. So last week, we started uh, a new series we're going to explore for a few weeks called The Church is Not What It Once Was. It's a good title. It is a good title. Yeah. It took us a while to come up did with Did you come it. up with that title? I don't know. I think you might have. It's a good title. Well, that was really arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I had to point it out. Uh, it is a good title, though. It is a good title. Um, and we started by talking about uh, that we are coming out of a time period called Christendom, when it was when church, church life, and culture were very blended. It you 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 couldn't really have one or the other um, separate. They were both kind of you, you. If you had church, it was also culture. And culture was also yep. church. To go to 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 be American was to go to church. Yeah, yep. yeah. And we ended last week uh, by talking about how that was slowly coming to an end with the rise of post-modernity mm-hmm. and this um, very different way to look at life. The rise of um, the increase in science and mm-hmm. how that dictates how we view all of life, um, <clears throat> and how culture was slowly changing yep. too, um, as we were coming out of the fifties and into the sixties. Uh, and what came out of that was where we kind of left off last week um, was fundamentalism, and from that was the evangelical movement of the Christian Church. Yes. Uh, and evangelicalism is was, I would say, was kind of a an offshoot of fundamentalism. Yes. Um, and fundamentalism, um, and we were just talking about this earlier. So Allison has her own podcast with her husband Josh. His great podcast uh, called the Reclamation Reclamation Faith Reclamation Faith. Yeah, and they have a uh, they do a deep dive on this episode called. You're probably a fundamentalist, dot, dot, dot. Um, where they get into the uh, uh, the, the origins the beginning, of fundamentalism. Thank you. The very beginning of fundamentalism. Where it came from. This, mm-hmm. this, uh, this desire to get back to the fundamentals, how they understood them, of Christianity. Um, <clears throat> and that these fundamentals are so fundamental that if you don't believe them, you're... You're not a Christian. Yes. Right? Yes. So, and there was a retreat away from culture. Right. With this uh, fundamentalist movement. Right. Um, and they do a really good job. So if you want to kind of take a deep dive into that, yeah. um, uh, check them out. Uh, uh, search for them on where you find your podcast. Reclamation Faith. It's a great one. Please yep. do check it out. Yep. And, and because that's going to give you uh, a, 
a real deep dive into the origins of that and how society was really playing such a huge role as it always does in the life of the church and how it how it begins to kind of refocus on what it thinks are the essentials of being the church in that day. Yes. And that's really where fun, the fundamentals kind of came out. And then we, as we talked about last week, we get into the to the really kind of global cultural shift that's known as post-modernity, which is really a reaction to modernity and modernity's insistence on fact and falsehoods on, you know, black and white. This is ultimately true and this, therefore, this is not ultimately true and how that kind of began to decay. Um, science, on the one hand, was, you know, a huge, a huge part of this shift with the Enlightenment, and then the further science kind of moved, we realized, as we talked about last, last podcast, like, we were taught that the atom is the smallest particle of matter. Wait a second, science moves a little bit further, and we realized, no, that's not true. Yep. Uh, and post-modernity comes along and begins to, um reject the insistence on black and white it begins to reject the idea that there is that we can we can know uh for eternity ultimate truth on something when science is perpetually finding new truths and so modernity's value of truth and fact uh and falsehoods begins to morph into post-modernity's value of perspective and um, gray, and mystery, and wonder. So someone with a modern perspective would say, um, I don't, let's take Bob Ross here, okay? If, if, if I'm holding it like this, right, all you see of Bob Ross is, I said, what does this look like to you? And what would you say? Does it look like Well, what color is this? Oh. It's brown. It's brown because Bob Ross's head is brown, right? And I would say, no, it's yellow because the bottom of this is yellow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from a modern perspective, we would argue until we're both blue in the face because we're both so certain that we're right, right? Yes. And because this is brown and this is yellow. Whereas in post-modernity, this is really broad brushstrokes here, folks. But in post-modernity, there's this understanding of truth from, okay, what does this look like to you? You would say brown. And I would say, oh, that's fascinating. What does brown look like? You know, uh, it's mm-hmm. it's an acceptance of perspective, right? So another analogy would be six. If I were to draw six, it would look like six to me, and it would look like nine to you. And so we could both say that our perspective is true for us without insisting that our perspective is true for you. In post-modernity. In post-modernity. Yes. Right. Yes. Whereas in modernity, it would just be like, no, you are an idiot. You're wrong. It's a six or it's nine. So this is just, and so this is the global cultural shift that's happening. And it's a huge global shift that really only happens like once every 500 years or so. Right. And we're the church in the midst of this. And the church that proclaims ultimate truth then all of a sudden has to figure out, okay, what in the world do we do? Yes. And that's a, that's a great description. And so, cause that, that then dives into how this shift to post-modernity um, uh, made its way into the church. And in particular, uh, one way we could say is how we understand Scripture. Mm. Right? So yeah. very opening book 
of <clears throat> the Bible, Genesis. One of my favorite two chapters. Um, story of creation. And God creates the world um, in six days and rests on the seventh day. Mm-hmm. And so modernity would say that God created the earth and the cosmos in six days. Six literal days. Right? Mm-hmm. And then post-modernity would come in and say... Well, f- literalist, let's say. Yes. Maybe. So yes. Fun- modernist is... You're, you're saying most Christians in modernity were literalists. Well, I'm saying this is kind of how the modernity, post-modernity discussion made its way into oh, okay. um, uh, the Christian faith, and in particular, how we understand Scripture. Yeah. Right? So then you could... Post-modernity might look at it and go... Um, well, that's how you read the scriptures. I might not read it as it happened in six literal days because... What's a day to God? Yes. And is science telling us that that might not be how the cosmos were formed? Um, mm-hmm. And so therein lies this kind of tension right there of, um, well, if I don't read it literally, what... How do I read it? Mm -hmm. Or, if I'm not going to read it literally, then I don't really understand any of this. What do I do with it? Yeah. Right? So, coming out of um, this slow shift from modernity to post-modernity in the Christian church, what comes out of uh, fundamentalism is this evangelical movement. Right. And so, these are also going to be kind of broad strokes to what we mean by this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we want to get to kind of how the mainline church began to react, reacted to yeah. the shift too. Um, yep. Well said. Um, because as that shift began to happen, right. And societally there were shifts, uh, in the church, as you know, had it shifts in, in how theology and what it is that you have to believe in order to consider yourself Christian, how you read scripture, uh, and how you have to interpret scripture and consider yourself Christian, and it it crescendoed to the point where Christendom began to crumble, right? Okay, so if if this isn't the only way to see the world, if 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 ultimate truth is beginning to degrade, um, then maybe Christianity's ultimate truth is also beginning to degrade. And the, the huge brushstrokes here, friends. Like, there's so much that goes into us, but basically, eventually. The idea that you have to be Christian in order to be a good citizen also began to degrade. To crumble, yeah. And it was a very, very slow process. But you can see it as you look back at the church statistics and and the decline began in the late 50s and the decline just began to uh, uh, escalate. Uh, throughout every single decade, uh, we just happened to really, interestingly, the mainline had a year this past year where mainline um, adherence increased. But, um, really? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but um, it's basically been, that's that, that decline in, in the church has been happening, mm-hmm. with the exception of the evangelical church. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So uh, the evangelical church began to react and say, no, 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 this is important. This is true. Uh, and we are not comfortable with the cultural shift uh, 
in terms of theology, in terms of scripture, uh, interpretation, in terms of uh, what it means to be a Christian and how we live our lives. Mm -hmm. And so the evangelical church really began to react to all of this. And uh, what was originally a small kind of element, like we talked about before with the fundamentalists, the rise of the fundamentals and the fundamental movement from earlier in, this, in the 20th century, began to grow. And all of a sudden, the evangelical church kind of began to take this understanding of faith and it began to really blossom. And it blossomed in some remarkably beautiful ways. Yeah. Because what the church of the 20th century had largely been doing, in my opinion, is coasting. Right? Mm -hmm. One of the things that Christendom really did is it enabled the church to coast. Yeah. Because you could just assume that people were reading their Bibles. You could assume that people had a prayer life. You could assume so much because culture and the church were intertwined so intimately that... You could just assume things. You could assume that someone would move into your neighborhood and one of the first things they would do would be look for a church. Look for a church. Right. And so you basically... It may not be your period, church, but no, they would look for a church. But often there was a huge connection to the denomination. And so if they moved into Towson and they came from somewhere where they were Presbyterian, they were most likely going to a Presbyterian church. So you really just needed to open up your doors... Yep. on a Sunday morning, and people flocked. And many mm -hmm. of our congregation remember those times um, where it was just booming, yep. um, and people were everywhere, and you really just opened your doors. That's right. You know? Um, and now it's very different. Yeah. And, and, the, and most churches, when that decline began to happen, didn't know what in the world to do about it. Um, and so many, 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 many churches began trying to attract members through programs and things like that. And this is where we begin to see the model of youth group arise and, and different kind of, different yeah. kind of programs in church life. Um, yes. whereas in kind of this new evangelical movement and new's not really the right word, it's probably the newly the newly emphasized evangelical movement um, uh, began to kind of embrace uh, really fundamental elements of Christianity. Mm -hmm. Knowing your Bible in and out, through and through, having a rich prayer life, um, uh, observing the Sabbath and keeping it holy. And uh, along with that came a whole lot of other cultural assumptions that were you know, this is right and this is wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas culture was beginning to, you know, uh, women's suffrage and, and women were getting the vote, the evangelical church would look at scripture and say, no, Paul says this in Ephesians and women aren't to hold leadership positions. They would look at uh, different verses and the LGBTQ population would continue to, I mean, the very strict and rigid pathways that in our tradition now we see as quite discriminatory uh, and unjust. But again, their movement began to really embrace the black and white of modernity. 
um, and the truth and the falsehoods that had been assumed in modernity, and they kept them and embraced them, and in fact doubled, tripled, quadrupled down on them. Mm. So much so that uh, faith became, in the evangelical church, kind of goes back to those fundamentals. Fundamentals. You believe these things. You interpret scripture this way. And that's how the evangelical church really began to, to, to really blossom. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to their credit, they did some incredibly wonderful things. Mm-hmm. Uh, evangelicals tend to know their Bible. Yeah. They tend to have a great prayer life. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tend to deeply value uh, mission. From a different perspective than mainlines do now, mm-hmm. but they do. They tend to value mission from the prospect of spreading the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get into how the mainline differs from that. Mm-hmm. But uh, wonderful things just began to happen. Uh, yeah, I appreciate you bringing up the, the strengths of that movement. Um, uh, that needs to be shared. Yes. Um, <clears throat> because there's wonderful things with it, but there's also tremendously bad things with it too in my yes, opinion absolutely right? I, I agree too but there is something to be said about uh, their knowledge of scripture yeah and and their emphasis on it and and to be able to um, uh, you use this phrase a lot which I've always loved um, exercise your faith lips to be able to be able to talk about God and what it means to have a relationship yeah. with God all very good things. Yeah. All very good things. Um, because one of the reasons they're so good about it is one of the fundamentals, right, uh, that they have to, be, that evangelicals embrace is that you have to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in order to be, quote unquote, saved. Right. And by saved, they mean theologically that you're going to go to heaven when you die. Yeah. So salvation in the evangelical church equates to heaven, right? Um, and, and there's a specific pathway to achieving salvation. And so faith can become very individualistic, mm-hmm. right? I have my, <clears throat> my uh, personal Jesus, um, and it's all about me and my ticket to heaven as opposed to <clears throat> everyone else around me. Exactly. Faith becomes very individualized, and the goal of faith... The goal of faith within this movement begins, and this didn't happen all at once. It didn't happen in the very, I would, in my opinion, I don't think it began to happen in the very beginning of the movement. But as the movement began to grow and grow, the whole point of the faith gradually became to make sure you get into heaven when you die. I think that's a major component yeah. of evangelicalism, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. uh that's neither good nor bad that's just kind of what happened i think what we would agree is the bad side of that though is within that rigidity within that black and white within the truth and falsehood going back to those cultural assumptions from earlier in in the in the 20th century um also began to emphasize uh what we today would kind of identify as culture wars uh, cultural politics um, in an effort to continue to preach and spread what they believe was the correct gospel mm-hmm. um, 
the evangelical church also began drawing really thick black lines all over the place yeah. because there's black and then there's white. This is the role of women. Uh, this is this is what it means to be pure and acceptable to God. And if you're not pure and acceptable to God, then you're just <laughs> screwed. You're not going to be getting into yeah. heaven when you die. Very exclusive. It's very yeah. in and out. And uh, became... Uh, I think, accurately judged as incredibly judgmental. Uh, and I think evangelicals would even own the fact that that faith tends to be judgmental at times. Maybe some. Allison yes. knows this much better than we do, so that's why I keep looking at Allison. Well, and, um, it's, and it's also, and I think we're going we're gonna to wrap it up for today, but um, we, uh, a couple years ago, th- four years ago, we started talking about um, evangelical here at TPC. Mm-hmm. And there was a huge reaction to that it word. <laughs> huge reaction to that word. It, yeah. it made, and understandably, made many people uh, uncomfortable because it came with a, a sense of pushing your faith on someone, um, kind of slamming it down on them, of I have the... I have the truth, and you need to hear it. Mm-hmm. As opposed to a, um, here's what I believe, and I'd love to hear what you believe, and let's let's talk about yeah. it. Um, and so that was part of the right part of the connotation with it. Um, the word comes with a lot of a lot of baggage, baggage because when the evangelical church began to arise, and the mainline church kind of began to still be confused about the decline, right? Why Why aren't people coming to the church anymore? They didn't, the mainline church didn't really know how to respond for decades. For I mean, We're talking not just a few years, for decades. The mainline church did not know how to respond to this, and the evangelical church was exploding. The one thing the mainline church was certain is that they did not want to be viewed as judgmental or exclusive. Yeah. They uh, were, they were in many ways just kind of terrified of being identified as evangelical because they didn't want people associating their, them and their faith with the kind of faith that draws so many lines around so much and calls some of it good and some of it bad. Yeah. And so the evangelical church ran away from that. And in the process, we'll get into this more, but in the process... The mainline church ran away also from all the great things that the evangelical church was doing. It's one of the reasons why the mainline church to this day is uncomfortable with things like Bible study. You know, and it's why uh, spreading and talking about your faith is a beautiful and wonderful thing, but the mainline churches tend to be very, very weary of it. Yeah. Very scared of it. So... That's a great ending for today. That, we're going to leave those little breadcrumbs for next week when we talk about um, how, as you said, generally the mainline church responded to this rise of evangelicalism. So that's where we're going, um, and we'll hit that next week. Until then, we will see you next Sunday. Bye. Ha <laughs> ha